Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. Toby Tanzer, who has many titles, um, running coach, running star, athlete, um, an author, motivational speaker, and of course, um, as everybody knows, we, we run for Team Lifeline, High Lifeline every year, and he is our coach, our personal coach, and I know what he has told us before every race has stuck with me, not only during the race, but throughout the year, year after year, I remember in my mind what Toby says to us. So we want to shout out and say a big hello to Toby. Hi, Toby. How you doing? <laughs> hi, hi. Thank you. And I'm honored. I've always been honored to be involved with Team Perry. And so I'm really happy to be here today. Oh, so. You're my heroes. Oh, well, besides everything that we love about you. Um, what we really appreciate is the past couple of years, Perry crossing over the finish line, and she's been doing this for, this will be her 10th year. Um, you're always by her side, and you're always cheering her on, even though you could possibly finish literally hours before us, the marathon. You're always waiting for Perry and coming back for her. Um, what, what has drawn you to Perry over the years that you say, you know, this is not something I'm going to miss? It's the fuel from seeing somebody take impossible into possible is, you know, something that fuels you for the rest of the year. So those memories I get, you know, in my darker moments or whenever I question myself on some challenge, I think of what Perry does and it gives you no excuse to say, oh, you know, I can't do this or I can't do that. So it's a, just a good reminder of the resilience of the human soul. And you're always so kind when you do the marathon by our side, because you have also done it by our side. And we're dragging you down. We're doing it, if we're lucky, like a 14-minute mile at the end of it. And you're just so happy to be walking with us and taking part of it. Um, and that means a lot to us, because... No, no, no. It's a blessing to be there. And as I say, I'm the person that gets the most out of it. And I think everybody, I think, you know, when you walk in that group, the, the passion and the feeling there and you know Perry is a hero to us so I think it's uh, you should sell tickets to actually be in that group. It's a very emotional experience I think when you go through it. Um, so we, as we told you we're doing a series on stepping out of line how people um, step out of line in their lives and do something great and amazing that they perhaps never thought possible but push themselves to do it. You've done so many amazing things in your life I know Shoot for Africa is a huge, huge accomplishment for you as, as a nonprofit and creating um, all of this buzz and excitement over it and getting a hospital built in South Africa. Africa or South Africa? East Africa. It's in Kenya. Sorry, I, I'm not familiar with the Africa. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> not good at that. Um, but um, it's just amazing what you've accomplished. Can you tell us at what point in your life have you stepped out of line and what is, what is the most memorable thing that you've done? That I know you've probably done it many times, but is there anything particularly to think of? No, no, definitely. And I think uh, my parents obviously were very, very big influences in my life as, you know, I mean, Team Perry 
embodies that you know it's a family that often makes a person and I grew up in uh, with parents that were a little bit different from most other people's parents and they were always telling me you know be yourself discover yourself do things differently and so it gave me the confidence and when I was 15 years old I was sitting in a English class and we were learning uh, about Othello, the William Shakespeare play. And the teacher, who was a relief teacher, you know, not our regular teacher, was telling us, if you want to pass the year-end exams, we go, we go to the bookshop and buy a book that will give you all the previous questions that have been asked as exam questions, because the chances are they're going to be asked again. And the class was called Creative English. And I remember being the class clown, saying like, What's creative about that? You know, finding the bookstore. I really, for me, it just sounded like the most dead end thing that we should do rather than actually to try to find our own answers or something. But as fate would happen, I got thrown out of the class and the teacher took me out into the corridor and she was telling me, oh, if you're so clever, why don't you actually go and find the answers yourself? You know, why are you then wasting time in the classroom if you think you're so clever? So I took it as a challenge and I ran away from home and I went over to Amsterdam with a friend of mine and we decided because I'd seen these stories about these painters and writers who went to discover their life in Europe that this sounded like a good place for me to start off. But it wasn't because I realized all the stuff that I got my confidence from was from the security of the family and from being in that home environment. There was a time when I stepped out of line, but it also was a time that I actually realized stepping out of line puts you into a different circle of things and be appreciative of what you've left behind. So it was, I stayed in Europe that summer. And then when I came back, my parents were actually moving house and they were moving to a different city. So really as well, you know, I stayed behind and it was kind of like the kickoff that took me on my own path in life. So I stepped out of line, but I also learned a lot by doing it. When did you realize that you wanted to be a runner and that running was your gift? Well, that was another, I mean, I, I grew up in this theater philosophy center and life was just fantastic. You know, I had the whole theater to, you know, a lot of the time the theater wasn't being used. So I could play in the props rooms. I used to jump around the stage. I used to dress up in all the costumes and, you know, there was a cafeteria where I could just steal all the snacks I needed. Yeah. I lived the life fantastic. And, but the theater world, there's a lot of sitting around doing nothing, waiting, rehearsing your lines. And I would get bored and frustrated. And I felt like the rest of the world was progressing, but I was moving very slowly. And this was amateur dramatics. You know, not everyone is Leonardo DiCaprio. Or, you know, this is a very, I wasn't going to become a, a film star or anything. This is just local amateur theater stuff and I really I wanted to do something more than just hang around the theater and have fun and so I kept on thinking like what do I want to do and I could see everyone else progressing and me staying in this same sphere and I thought I was around 20 years old and I thought I don't want to wake up in 20 years time and still be doing this same thing and then as fate would happen one day I was watching the television with um, my girlfriend and coming across the screen, I saw a friend of mine from 10 years ago when I ran as a school kid. And I was like, my goodness, what's he doing on the television? And sure enough, you know, he'd become a famous runner. 
and he was running in the Commonwealth Games. And at this time, I was a cigarette smoker. And I was smoking 40 cigarettes a day. I was very unhealthy. And, you know, but living my fun theater life. And to see him doing this, I tried for a long time to quit smoking because I knew it was a bad thing, but I was addicted to the nicotine. But right now, watching him, I crumpled up my packets of cigarettes, which was pretty inconsiderate because the, the girlfriend smoked the same brand as me, Marlboro's. So I scrumpled up the cigarettes and said, I want to run. And I realized running was what was going to take me figuratively out of the, the rut. So I started jogging, ran down to the street, ran around the park, and I just fell in love with running. And, you know, I hadn't run for 10 years, but those feelings, the fact of when you're doing something sporty, you release endorphins inside your mind. And it just told me, yeah, this was how you're going to change your life. This is how you're going to get out of this rut. And so purely by, you know, a twist of fate, I started running. And your wife is a runner too. She is. And she's actually, she comes from the special Kenyan tribe which is a very, very small group. And it's actually a select clan of the, the tribe of the runners, the Kenyan runners. So yeah, her cousin is the uh, most famous runner that's run under two hours for the marathon, which is the family record. <laughs> right. Wow. So that's a great story. I, there's so much we don't know about you, Toby, that we're gonna have to just sit down for like a couple of hours by the pool in Miami. <laughs> and find out about if we could get you there. Um, so that's pretty incredible. Harry's like an awe right now. Um, how did you start, how did you come up with the idea that you wanted to fundraise for a hospital in Africa and that you would be able to do it? Like that is a very big undertaking. How did that come to you? And then you said, this is, you know, did you have the idea and then you just pursued it or how did that happen? Well, again, I, you know, I can't take any credit because everything I've ever done by my life is by mistake or something, you know, happening coincidentally. And through running, you know, I started to learn about Africa and a friend of mine literally dragged me to Africa to go to learn from the Kenyans, to go and run with the Kenyans. And I didn't want to go. You know, I wanted to stay in America because not stay in America. I was, I was this time I was living in Sweden. I wanted to go and train in America because they have electricity they have running water, they don't have diseases, they don't have despair and droughts and all this stuff that I'd read in the press about Africa. And he would say, no, 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 you have to go to Africa. So kind of, I just agreed. And it was some weird coincidence that when I was a child, I got a bag from Eldred. And so when he mentioned the name Eldred, I was like, huh, I've heard of that town before. And I only remembered the name because it sounded like Eldorado. And as a child, I was fascinated in cowboys. So I wanted to learn about these African cowboys. So I thought this funny coincidence that I remember the name of the town. Now he's telling me, go and train in this town. So I went over to Africa expecting to learn to be you know, the fastest, best, quickest runner I could. But when I went over there, I saw all these things that were going wrong that I thought that I could do something to help. And I thought, why am I trying to concentrate on just something you know, which is running for me, which is a pleasure and a hobby? when I could be doing something that could be meaningful and purposeful. So I started giving away running shoes and that was only because it didn't cost me anything because I was sponsored then I used to get free shoes from Nike. So I thought, okay, well, 
all I need to do is just give away this stuff that I'm being given and I'm going to feel good myself for doing it. So that's how I actually got into charity. And then one thing led to the other. Then I started to do other things with different things. And then one day there was a terrible situation in Kenya when it was almost like a mini Rwanda where two tribes were fighting against each other and the whole country exploded. There was a lot of reasons why, you know, land and presidential votes and things. But uh, long story short, I met a lady whose child was burnt alive and the child was thrown into a, a church. She actually escaped out of a burning church. She got a child outside and then the mob threw the child back into the burning church where about 35 to 50 ladies had burnt to death. And I was speaking with the mother and the mother was saying, there is a meaning why this happened. And I was telling the mother, there is no meaning why this happened. But again, coincidentally, I was attacked myself in Africa on the beach and an Indian doctor told me that same sentence. So it always stuck in my mind because in the West, when something bad happens, we just think something bad has happened. But in Africa and in the traditions of the people that I was talking to, they said there is always a meaning why something happened. And I, I struggled to find that, but the fact that these two sentences came the two times in my life, that my mind was all confused and I was wondering, how do I, how do I help this community who's had a church burnt down their, you know, the center of their community with all these ladies and children dying inside the church through hatred? And I went into town and sat down in a coffee shop, I was drinking a cup of coffee, trying to think what's going on. And a, a friend of mine who was... Um, substantially you know, well-established businessman, a Dutch businessman who you know, built a training center and things like that. He came in holding a proposal and he was about to throw the proposal away. He said, can you imagine, I was wanting to help. I'd asked the local doctors and I was expecting to help with a $200 or a $500 donation you know, to help something. And they've given me a multi-million dollar project to build a children's hospital. So he was about to throw the proposal away. You know, it was nothing for him. But again, I thought back to all the things in my life. And on this morning of all mornings to receive this proposal, I thought, why don't I do it? So that's how I started. Wow. Um, yeah, it seems like, did you meet your wife also? Like in a, it just happened and it was meant to happen kind of thing? That, that also was uh, very, <laughs> it was by fate. She was in a T-Mobile store complaining about having a bill. And by chance, the, the CEO of T-Mobile happened to be inside that one store at the time. So the lady behind the customer service desk said, well, if you got a complaint, you know, now's your chance. Why don't you go and talk to that man over there? Because he's a, he's a big boss of T-Mobile. So she went across and she started talking to him. And he said, you know, where are you from? And she said, oh, you know, I'm... I'm African. He said, where in Africa? And she said, oh, I'm Kenyan. He said, oh, a friend of mine is building a hospital in Kenya. And so it was like, wow, you know, so he's, she also was saying like, where in Kenya is it? So he said, it's in Eldoret. She said, wow, I was born in Eldoret. So she said, you know, I, I want to see where this crazy white person is building a hospital in my hometown. And by good luck, I was flying from America and she was flying from America within three days. So we met actually in the Eldoret airport and I took her to the site. When I took her to the site, she was born half a mile from that site. Wow. And I, 
I thought that was a coincidence till the next trip. She said, I want to show you where my late father was born. She said he was a very, very poor man. He was born in a field in the middle of nowhere. He didn't go to school till he was 16 years old, the first time he ever went to school, but he rose and he became a prominent uh, politician in Kenya. So we drove about 90 minutes into the rural bush, you know, through the, from the tarmac roads, the dirt roads, from the dirt roads into the paths, into the middle of nowhere. But when we got to the middle of nowhere, all the little kids were coming and running up to our car and screaming, hi, Toby. And she's like, how on earth do you know these people around here? And one mile from where I built my first school in Kenya, her father was born in a field. So sometimes things, you know, they all tie together. It was meant to be. Yeah, I think as you get older in life, you start to see all the threads come together. And you see that life is a, a series of paths of steps and things make sense. And there's choices you make. And sometimes you go off the path. And as Perry says, when you step off the path, often, you know, doors open, you go off the line, sorry. So, but there's always a guiding line that always brings you back to the path where you're supposed to go. Right. In Jewish, it's called bashert, B-E-S-H-E-R-T, bashert meaning it's just meant to be. Absolutely, so yes. Your Bashir, you were always meant to find her and always meant to be with her. All the roads in your life had led you to where you were going to meet her, which is a really and nice like, Yeah, and like we're supposed to meet now. I think it's, it's you know, the world is very connected. Yes. Um, speaking of being connected, how did you start with Team Lifeline? Like, how did how did you become the coach of Team Lifeline? Because here we are, a bunch of literally overweight Jews running, most of us. And here we have you, beautiful Toby, who's giving us hope that we could actually do it. And we actually listen to you and your tips. So how did you start with us? No, it's a good question because when, uh, again, I came to, to live in America around the year 2000. And when I arrived in New York, I, I had a very traumatic time. I lost all my possessions. And I decided that I was going to stop running. And especially I just, I was recovering from brain surgery. Right. So I, I needed to pick my life back together again. But I started, I thought, let me do some coaching because that was a skill that I knew that I could do. And then I started doing local races in Central Park just because I couldn't travel and my head was feeling weird. But I started winning a lot of races. And so I got a presence inside the city. And I, I, before long, I was coaching about four or five different teams. And I was coaching the state university and lots of individuals. And then I was coaching for the, the New York City Marathon has lectures. And, you know, you've got 600 people coming to sign up for the marathon who want some beginner tips. And so I, I just really immersed myself in the local running scene in New York. So when Team Lifeline called up, can you still hear me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. When, when Team Lifeline called me up and they'd got the recommendation from the Roadrunners Club that I was a, a good coach. But because I was so busy, I told, uh, I think it was Ari that I was talking to. I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't do it because, you know, I've really, I've got too many obligations. But then he gave the phone to Moshe. And as you know, Moshe is like a tenacious bulldog. Yes. 
So he called me up not once, but twice and said, please just, you know, just do it one year. And if you don't like it, then, you know, fall out, you know, leave us, whatever like that. And as you know, anybody that gets involved in Team Lifeline, it's an irresistible team. You just can't stop being involved. It's such a fantastic team of people. So that's how I got involved a long time ago. Well, we're so happy that you are a coach because yeah. it means a lot to us. And you not just coached us as I for that time, but you also coach us throughout the year. You know, and we really listen to your stories and all of us, my whole family, we say, yep, I remember Toby said that throughout the year or whenever, you know, it's related to what we're talking about. So you're, you're always, always our coach, not just once a year. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. One more question. What? Oh, yes. Perry wanted to ask, um, what are you recommending when people are training with masks? Are they wearing masks while they're running or... Is that a problem? I, yeah, no. I, first of all, I'm, I'm recommending everybody tries to do exercise, but to scale down, you know, to do less than they're doing normal times. And I suggest, you know, once if you come in within, you know, three or four meters of anybody, then you use your mask. But if you're in a place where there's, there's no droplets, there's no, you know, anybody close to you, it's very hard to exercise at the same time as wearing a mask. And maybe then it's better to have the mask with you, but not to put it over while you're actually exerting any effort. Sounds good. Do you think we'll, we'll be wearing masks in, uh, in January at the marathon? I'm hoping and praying every day there's going to be some fantastic vaccine. I mean, I think if we can put a man on the moon, we can get a vaccine. I'm very, very hopeful that this hopefully will blow over. But you never know. I mean, it's unprecedented times and it's an ever-changing situation every single day. But it could be, it could well be. And it also could be, you know, that we start to have big city marathons in a different way too, that, you know, maybe we have to all keep within a distance and run throughout the day or in smaller groups. Right. But hopefully by that time, the vaccine will be here. I'm hoping because we're planning on it. Yeah. Toby, thank you so much for talking with us and spending your time with us. Yeah. And we hope that you are. My pleasure. Uh, we miss you. We hope you're safe and well, and um, that this quarantine ends soon, and you can go about your life and and live it and keep helping people. Because we're very proud. Whenever we read something, what you're doing, we're we're cheering for you always. And likewise, me too for you. Take care of yourself, sir. Huh? Thank you, Toby. Thank you. Love you. Bye bye. bye.